Chapter 12 The Fear of Man Bringeth a Snare The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in Jehovah shall be safe. Proverbs 29, verse 25 Two ways exist, one of ruin, the other of salvation. The fear of man bringeth a snare, ruin, but whoso putteth his trust in Jehovah shall be safe. The way of salvation, trust in the Lord. Even if you do not believe another verse in the Bible, you know that verse is true. I don't care how much of an infidel any man may be, he knows that the fear of man brings a snare. Ensnared by the fear of man Many people have been snared by the fear of man. Many a young woman has come to the city from a country village as an innocent, guileless, pure, upright girl, but loving merriment. Coming to the city, she has sought amusement where a poor girl is likely to seek it, in the theater or the dance hall, but intending no wrong. And one night, as she returns from a dance with a young man in whom she has become interested and who has been kind to her, he makes advances that the modesty of the girl resents. She blushes. She is indignant. He laughs at her. Oh, he says, you don't understand. I don't mean anything wrong. Everyone does this in the city. You know, city life is freer than country life. You don't understand, that's all. He laughs at the girl, and she permits what she at first resented. A few nights later, he goes a little further. Again, she is indignant. And again, he laughs at her and laughs her out of her puritanical scruples, as he calls them. Then he goes further, and soon that girl is on the street ruined, dishonored, belonging to the most wretched class that lives, an outcast woman. The fear of man, the fear of someone's ridicule, has brought a snare that has landed that girl in the slums. Many a young man has come to the city. He knew enough about life to know that any use of intoxicating liquor is dangerous in the day in which you and I live. His father and mother brought him up with habits of self-restraint and total abstinence, and he is resolved that in coming to the city he will never visit a saloon, that he will never drink even a glass of beer or wine. But one night he is out with his new friends for some entertainment. After the entertainment is over, they propose going to a tavern for just one glass of beer. No, he says, I never drink. It is perilous to drink. I was brought up as a total abstainer, and I intend to remain a total abstainer until the day of my death. They laugh at him. Oh, they say, be a man. Nobody but mama's boys are total abstainers. If you are going to amount to anything in the city, you must take an occasional glass of beer. Of course, we don't want you to go to excess. We don't believe in overindulgence, but one glass of beer won't hurt you. Come, be a man. He takes his first glass of beer. It rouses the demon that is in him. That leads to another, and another, and many others. And now that young fellow is a bloated, ruined, penniless drunkard on the streets of the city. The fear of man has brought a snare that has ruined him for time and eternity. A few weeks ago, I received one of the saddest letters I ever received from a friend. 
It was a letter from his brother's wife. This brother of my friend was a very brilliant man, a man of the greatest promise, extraordinary promise, but he started drinking. He found that the drink was controlling him, so he quit and became a total abstainer. He had an opportunity to go to London to visit one of the best-known men, a man that all Englishmen know by name. That man had potential to promote him to great honor. When he went for a visit, this man offered him a glass of wine at his table. He didn't dare offend his powerful friend by refusing the glass of wine. He thought, it is only one glass. He took it. He was mad. He rushed from that house, went to a tavern, and then to another. And for days his friends did not know where he was. They sent detectives on his track, who found him helplessly drunk in one of the lowest dens in London, and he has been drinking from that day to this. The broken-hearted wife wrote my friend, his brother, and said, He is crazy. He has gone and ruined his family. His home is broken. All our prospects are marred. He is lost. He is mad. The fear of man brought a snare. Many a young fellow has come to the city, thinking he was too much of a man to gamble. For no man who gambles is much of a man. He thinks he is too much of a man to gamble, but he likes an occasional innocent game of cards. One night he is playing cards with his friends, and someone suggests that they just put up a three-penny bid to make it interesting. That is all. Oh, they say, we don't care for the money, but it is just to lend interest to the game. No, he says, I never gamble. I think gambling is stealing. He is right, for gambling is stealing. No self-respecting man will gamble, for no self-respecting man wants another man's money. I don't see how a man who has taken another man's money by gambling can look in the mirror. I should think he would be ashamed to look himself in the face. He says, no, gambling is outright dishonesty. I never gamble. Oh, they say, it is not gambling. It is just for a little amusement. You'd better go home and go to Sunday school. Go and sit with your mother. And they laugh him into his first game of cards. The gambler's passion, a harder passion to overcome than the appetite for drink ever was, seizes him. And today he is behind prison bars because he gambled until he took his employer's money to gamble with. The fear of man had brought a snare that has landed him in prison. Ensnared into a denial of the Lord Again, the fear of man ensnares Christians into a denial of their Lord. It snared Peter. Thank God the time came when Peter threw his fear to the wind and stood before the very men who condemned Jesus to die. He confessed his Lord and rebuked their sin. But that night, after he had told his Lord that though all forsake him, he never would, he stood before the servant girl who accused him of being a follower of Jesus of Nazareth and said, I don't know the man. Then, a few moments after, he repeated his denial. And an hour later, with oaths and cursings, frightened by what a servant girl might do or say, he denied his Lord again. Many of you are doing the same thing every day. Down in your office, 
or your shop, or your factory, or your mill, Jesus Christ is ridiculed. Hard things are said about the Bible. The name of the Lord who died on the cross of Calvary for you is blasphemed. And you are not man enough, you are not woman enough, to stand up and say, I am a Christian. I believe in that Christ whom you are ridiculing. I believe in that Bible you are laughing at. You are afraid to be laughed at, and the fear of man ensnares you into a denial of the Lord who died on the cross for you. Ensnared into Compromise Again, the fear of man ensnares professing Christians into a guilty compromise with the world. Many of you professing Christians are doing things in family life, in social life, and in business life that you know are wrong. Your best moral judgment condemns you for them every time you do them, but you say, well, everybody does it. I will be considered odd if I don't. I will be ostracized from my group. A Christian man living in one of the suburbs of Chicago, where there is a great deal of the form of godliness, but very little of the real power, said to me, My daughter is practically shunned in this suburb because she won't dance, play cards, or go to the theater. Thank God she was woman enough, young girl though she was, to be willing to be excluded rather than compromise. Many of you are not. You would rather not go to the theater but you go, even though you don't feel happy there. You would rather not play cards. You know the peril of it. You know how many family card parties have been the door through which a son has become a gambler. You would rather not dance. Your better self is shocked, as the modesty of every intelligent-thinking woman must be shocked, at what you see in every ballroom a familiarity of contact permitted between the sexes that is nowhere else permitted in decent society. You know it. You are shocked by it. You don't enjoy it. But you are not brave enough to stand for modesty, purity, and God. The fear of man has entangled you in a snare which has robbed you by your compromise of every bit of real power for Jesus Christ. Ensnared into Silence and Inactivity Again, the fear of man ensnares Christians into a guilty silence and inactivity. Many of you attend every meeting, and when the invitation is given for Christians to go speak to the unsaved, you want to do it. You would like to help someone to Christ. What a joy it would be to you! But you say, Suppose I talk to somebody and they don't like it. Suppose they laugh at me. Suppose they say some hard things to me. The fear of man in and outside these meetings, in your home, in your shop, or in your hotel, is shutting your mouth and robbing you of the transcendent joy of leading others to Jesus Christ. Well, suppose they do laugh at you. Remember that they spit in your master's face. They won't spit in yours. They struck him with their fists. They probably won't strike you. They nailed him to the cross. Aren't you willing to be laughed at for a master like that? I believe that the fear of man on the part of professing Christians is keeping them back from giving their testimony for Christ and working to bring others to Christ. That is doing far more to hinder the work of God than any other cause today. Men are being saved by the thousands, 
But if you Christians would throw your fear to the wind on the streets, in the shops, in the homes, and in the hotels, you would have the boldness to witness and work for your Master, and they would be saved by the tens of thousands. Ensnared into Rejection Again, the fear of man ensnares those who are not Christians into the rejection of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of men and women would like to be Christians. They see the joy of it. They see that the Christian life is beyond a doubt the better life for the present as well as for the future. But they are afraid that if they accept Christ, somebody will ridicule them. The fear of man is shutting them out of the acceptance of Jesus Christ. I believe that more people are kept from accepting Christ every day by the fear of what someone will say or do than by any other cause. If we could get rid of this fear, I believe there would be five hundred or a thousand saved every day instead of two hundred or three hundred. Ensnared into Discouraging Public Confession Also, the fear of man ensnares those who really think they have accepted Christ into not making a public confession of Him. Now Jesus says distinctly, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10 verses 32-33 Paul says distinctly, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 10 and yet a host of you are trying to be Christians and never stand up to say so. You don't admit that it is the fear of man that keeps you from doing it. Oh no, you say, I don't believe in this publicity. I don't believe in this standing up business. I believe in doing things more quietly. I don't believe in excitement. You give a thousand and one reasons, but men, if you are honest with yourselves, as you will have to be honest with God some day, and told the truth, you would say, it is because I am afraid to do it. When we were in Edinburgh, a fine-looking young fellow came to me one day and said, I am a coward. I said, What is the matter? He said, I thought I accepted Christ here the other night, and I have not been man enough to tell another man in the office what I have done. I am a coward. Well, he was. So are you. You professed to take Jesus Christ. You quietly told somebody, but to this day you have not told the other men in your office, in your home, in your hotel, or in your shop. The fear of man has sealed your mouth, made you a blatant coward, and robbed you of all the joy that there is in a complete Christian experience. Ensnared into Discouragement The fear of man ensnares those who begin the Christian life from continuing in it because somebody says some discouraging thing. One night, when we were in a Scottish town, two young men both professed to accept Christ. The pastor of one of them sat on the platform. He went to his pastor and told him what he had done, and his pastor encouraged him. The other man's pastor was one of these fun-loving pastors, a man whose chief function is to serve as a figurehead at big feasts, and encourage the fast men of the town by drinking their wine and joining in their tastes. If there is any man on earth for whom I am tempted to have utter contempt, 
it is a fun-loving minister, the minister whose chief function is to adorn big suppers and drink rich men's wines. I would rather be an outright pub owner or an alcohol seller any day than a preacher of that kind. I have more respect for a good straight-out alcohol seller than that kind of a preacher. This man was that kind of a preacher. He had occasionally been seen on the streets when he needed the whole sidewalk. The young man went to his preacher and told him what he had done. His preacher said, Don't you believe a word they are saying up there? He discouraged the young man. If there is a deeper spot in hell than any other, it is for the man that bears the name of minister and dares to discourage the young convert in his first aspirations toward God. Well, this man did, and the poor young fellow was discouraged quite entirely. Not excusable, but a minister of the gospel had laughed at him and snared him into wretched backsliding and maybe into hell. If you are starting out in the Christian life, no matter who approves or disapproves, you are right. Go on in spite of everybody. Ensnared into eternal ruin The fear of man ensnares people into their eternal ruin. Many men and women lie in Christless graves today and will pass to a Christless eternity because the fear of man kept them from the acceptance of Christ. When I am home in Chicago, if I have a night off, I often run out to another city to help ministers. One night, I crossed the state line about twenty miles from Chicago into the city of Hammond, Indiana. After speaking, I gave the invitation, and among those who were moved by the Spirit of God was a young woman. She rose to her feet and started to come to the front. The young man who sat beside her touched her arm. He was engaged to marry her. He said, Don't go tonight. If you will wait for a few days, I may go with you. For fear of offending her fiancé, she sat down. I went back the next week to speak in the opera house. At the close of the meeting, two young women came and said, Oh, Mr. Tory, as soon as you can get away from the opera house, come with us. A young lady was going to come forward the other night, but the young man to whom she is engaged asked her to wait. She did wait, and now she has erysipelas. It has gone to her brain and she is dying. She probably won't live until morning. Come to see her as soon as you can. I hurried along from the opera house. I entered her home, went into the room where the poor girl lay dying, her face all painted black with iodine. She was hardly recognizable as the same person, but was perfectly conscious. I urged her then to receive Christ immediately. No, she said. I was about to the last time you were here, but I didn't do it then. I am dying. I can't do it now. I pleaded with her. I begged her. I knew it was her last hour. I did everything, but she would not yield. And when I passed out of that room of awful darkness, a young man in the hallway grasped me by the hand, took me into a cold, dark room, and though I could not see him, I could feel he was shaking like a leaf. Oh, he said, Mr. Torrey, I am engaged to marry that girl. When you spoke here last week, we were both at the meeting. When you gave the invitation, she started for the front. I said, no, don't go. If you wait for me a few days, I may go with you. 
she didn't go and now she is dying without Christ. She is lost and I am to blame. I am to blame. The Spirit of God is moving with mighty power. Many of you are on the verge of a decision for Christ. Don't let the fear of man frighten you out of taking your stand now. Safety Whoso putteth his trust in Jehovah shall be safe. He will be safe from all danger of yielding to sin and temptation. If you trust God, temptation has no power. A man cannot yield to temptation without distrusting God. Every act of sin is an act of distrust in God. He that trusts God will do what's right though the heavens fall. I know a man in business in America. This man was unfortunate in business, lost about everything he had, and sold off everything to pay his honest debts. He kept from failing. He paid all his debts, but it left him practically penniless. Then, an opening came for him as a fireman on an engine. He came to me and said, What shall I do? I have wanted to be an engine driver for years. They say they will promote me quickly, but if I take this post on a switch engine, I must work on Sundays. What shall I do? I said, Well, you will have to decide for yourself. But if you can't do it with a clear conscience, you can't afford to do it. He said, I can't do it with a clear conscience. He refused the position, though he did not know what he could do to support himself and his wife and family of three or four children. A day or two later, he got a position that paid only a dollar a day, only four shillings, which is a very small wage. In a few days, he got a position that paid $75 per month, and today he is head bookkeeper of one of the biggest mercantile establishments in the Northwest, with a big salary and constantly getting presents from the firm, all because he trusted God. When I was home this summer, I found that a young Jewish woman had been converted. She was a very brilliant woman in her work, a very talented woman, but she had to work for her living to support the family. After she was converted, she was full of love for Christ, as Jews generally are when they are converted. As she went out of the place where she worked, a very large establishment, all you businessmen would know the firm by the name if I should name it, she spoke of Christ to the other employees. Some of them did not like it, and they went to the head of the firm and said, Miss So-and-so is constantly talking to us about Christ. We don't like it. They called her in and said, We have no objection to Christianity and no objection to your being a Christian. It is a good thing, but you must not talk about it around this establishment. Very well, she said. I won't work where I can't take Christ with me and talk for my master. She had a family to support, an aged mother and other members of the family, and did not know where she could go, having just converted from Judaism to Christianity. Well then, they said, you will have to lose your position. Very well, she said, I will give up my position before I will be disloyal to Jesus Christ. Very well, they said, go back to your work. She went back to work. At the end of the week, she got a letter from the firm. She said, Here is my discharge, and she tore it open. The head of the establishment said in the letter, 
We have a position with great responsibility and with a much larger salary than you are getting. We think you are the woman for the position and we offer it to you. They saw she could be trusted. Businessmen are looking for individuals whom they can trust. Safe from all danger Whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe from danger of every kind. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who is against us? Men will persecute you. Yes, they will ridicule you. They will do all they can to harm you. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 20, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They will, but it won't do you any harm. Some people are frightened to death at being persecuted, but it is one of the greatest privileges on earth for converts to be persecuted for Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11-12, through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, not cry, not whine, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When we were in Ballarat, Australia, there was an organized gang that came to disrupt our meeting. I had said some plain things about dancing, and I had been invited to go to a decent dance. I went, and what I had said interrupted the dance. They were ashamed to dance, and it destroyed the club. They never had but one dance after that. Anyway, they regretted one invitation that they had sent. Well, the dancing element was badly obstructed. If we could stop several hundred of you society people from dancing in this city, it would be a high time. I hope we may have just such a high time. Well, this gang that had organized to disrupt the meetings went way off in the far gallery. The very first night when they came, the power of God came down, and the two ringleaders walked right up from that rear gallery the whole length of the hall. They came down to the front, turned around, and said, We accept Jesus Christ. The next day, some friends of the ringleader of the two met him on the street, knocked him down, and pounded him to make him swear. But God had taken all the swearing out of him, and instead of swearing, he wrote one of the most beautiful letters, not to me, but to a friend of his, who sent it to me. One of the most beautiful letters I ever saw about the joy of suffering for Jesus' sake. Men, they may persecute you. They may pound you and hound you, but they can't hurt you if you are right with God. Once more, the man who trusts in the Lord is eternally safe. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 28-29, through 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who hath given them unto me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you trust in the Lord, then God the Father, Almighty's hand, is under you and around you. Christ the Son's hand is over you and around you, and there you are between the almighty hand of God the Father and God the Son, and all the devils in hell can't get you. Throw away your fear of man. In place of it, put your trust in the Lord. You compromising Christians, 
throw away your compromise. Be totally for God, clean, straight Christians for God. Throw away your guilty silence. Go to work now to bring others to Christ, and continue tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. Throw away your guilty silence about unpopular truth and declare the whole counsel of God, even though they say you are old-fashioned because you tell the truth. And you who are rejecting Christ, throw away your fear. Fear not what anybody says, but stand up and come forward to accept Christ. Confess Him before the world now. In the early days of Mr. Moody's work in Chicago, there was a man in constant attendance at the services. He seemed for a long time to be on the point of decision for Christ. At last, Mr. Moody went to him and urged him very strongly to decide at once. He replied that he could not appear as a Christian. He said there was a man with whom he was associated who would ridicule him, and he could not endure his ridicule. As Mr. Moody kept urging him to decide, the man at last became irritated and quit attending the church. Some months later, when the man had dropped out of sight, Mr. Moody received an urgent call to go and see the man at once. He found him very ill, apparently dying and in great anxiety about his soul. He was shown the way of life and professed to accept Christ, and his soul seemed at rest. To everyone's surprise, he took a turn for the better, and a full recovery seemed sure. Mr. Moody called upon him and found him sitting outside in the sunshine. Mr. Moody said, Now that you have accepted Christ and God has raised you up, you will certainly come and confess Him as soon as you are able to come back. To Mr. Moody's astonishment, the man replied, No, not now. I don't dare reveal this in Chicago, but I am intending soon to move to Michigan. As soon as I get there, I will come out publicly and take my stand on the side of Christ. Mr. Moody told him that Christ could preserve him in Chicago as well as in Michigan, but the man's fear of his friend held him back. He refused to take his stand in Chicago. Mr. Moody left, greatly disappointed. Just one week from that day, the man's wife called upon Mr. Moody and begged him to come at once and see her husband. He had suffered a relapse and was worse than ever. A council of physicians had agreed that there was no possibility of recovery. Did he send for me to come? asked Mr. Moody. No, he says that he is lost and there is no hope for him. He does not wish to see you or speak to you, but I cannot let him die in this way. You must come. Mr. Moody hurried to the house and found the man in a state of utter despair. To all Mr. Moody's pleas for him to receive Christ then and there, he replied that it was too late, that he was lost, that he had thrown away his day of opportunity, and that he could not be saved now. Mr. Moody said, I will pray for you. No, said the man, don't pray for me. It is no use. I am lost. Pray for my wife and children. They need your prayers. Mr. Moody knelt down by his side and prayed, but the heavens above his head seemed as brass. His own prayers did not seem to go higher than his head. He could not connect with God for this man's salvation. When he arose, the man said, There, Mr. Moody, I knew that prayer would do no good. I am lost. 
With a heavy heart, Mr. Moody left the house. All the afternoon the man kept repeating, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and I am not saved. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 20 All afternoon he kept repeating this text. As the sun was setting behind the western prairies, the man passed away. In his last moments, they heard him whispering, and leaning over to catch his words, they heard him murmuring, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and I am not saved. Another soul went out into eternity unprepared, snared into eternal hell by the fear of men. I beg you, throw away your fear of men, and put your trust in the Lord. Be saved right now.